Praise the Lord. Good morning. So actually, my I have three children, that's true, but they don't live in Hayward with me. Only my daughter does. So my oldest son, John Jr., he's on active duty Air Force. He's in Pearl Harbor, so he's suffering for the nation, you know, in Hawaii. Uh, my second son, Daniel Ezra, he's an Oakland police officer, so if you ever remember him, please uh, keep him in your prayers or when he comes to mind, if you ever do. Um, Please keep him in your prayers. That's a dangerous place to be a police officer. But since he was a little boy, he felt like that's what I'm supposed to do. And so he's in that career and he loves it. Yeah, so if he can be, I told him, if you can be a police officer in Oakland, you can be a police officer anywhere pretty much. And so uh, anyway, he's doing well. My kids all serve the Lord. Uh, my son, even though he sees probably the worst, you know, that there is to see in the city of Oakland, he still keeps his faith and him and his wife and his baby girl, you know, serve the Lord together. And they're growing as a family. It's beautiful. They're expecting another baby, uh, Garrett, little boy, coming in July. So we're pretty excited about that as well. And then the last one that came was a surprise. I would say a miracle uh, was Alyssa Joy. We named her middle name Joy because we weren't supposed to have any more children. And then she came along. We knew God was giving us the desires of our hearts. So she's my little princess. She's 18 years old. She's going to be a junior in college in the fall. And she wants to either be a librarian or a lawyer. So we're so proud of our children. God has blessed us immensely. And so we're grateful for them. So Alyssa lives at home. And I told her, you can live here as long as you want. So she's my baby girl. And, and so, um, yeah, that's my family. And uh, yeah, I met, I met um, Pastor Mike uh, last year in regards to Operation Christmas Child. And so we're so happy that uh, Grace Church came along and, and joined us. It's a wonderful ministry. I could spend the next half hour just telling you about the wonders of Operation Christmas Child. But just so you know, you participated in something that's uh, probably the most effective evangelism tool in the world to reach children. Last year, we, or we collected and are now currently distributing 10.5 million shoeboxes around the world. Every shoebox is a gospel opportunity in there. There's a clear track written uh, in a way that children can understand. And then it's given to them at an outreach event where about 50% of the children accept Christ and enter into a discipleship program of 12 weeks. They're given another opportunity to accept Christ. Their, their families are exposed. And uh, it's, it's, it's amazing what God is doing to this ministry. So thank you for participating in Operation Christmas Child. And we look forward to, to continuing to serve with you in the future. God bless you for that. And so I want to ask you to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 71. Open your Bible, your Bible app, uh, your tablet, whatever it may be. And so I remember at first, I, I, just, I just transitioned out of uh, 16 years as a senior pastor out in Hayward. And I remember when we first started opening, people started using phones and tablets. At first it was like, oh, no, that's not the Bible. You know, and then after a while, I just kind of get used to that. You know, so now we're just like, hey, open your Bible apps and uh, we're, we're good. So Psalm 73. Psalm 73, and we have a, I'm used to, I have an old custom that I'm so used to. Would you stand with me as we read the word of God this morning? Thank you so much. So I'm going to just read the first verse, but I'm actually going to uh, go kind of spend a little bit of time on verse one and two. Then a little later, I'll give a brief, I'll be covering this whole Psalm in, in this little time we have together. I'll hit 17 and then we'll go to the last couple verses. But Psalm 73, verse 1, it reads, a psalm of Asaph, a psalm of Asaph. And then he says in verse 1, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. I'll read that one more time. Truly God 
is good to Israel to such as are pure in heart. Lord, once again, we ask your blessing upon your word. Speak to us. Give us hearts to receive. We thank you for what you'll do and say this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So the, the psalm starts off telling us who the author is. It's a psalm of Asaph. So I think most of us are, are familiar with the fact that David wrote the majority of the psalms. David wrote, King David wrote 73 of the 150 psalms contained in the Bible. So he wrote almost half. Now, Asaph has wrote 12 psalms. Uh, Moses has a psalm, I believe, in there or two. And then there are others, and there's even some anonymous ones in the book of Psalms. But who was, who was Asaph? So let's begin there. So Asaph, he was the choir director or the worship director under, or dur- under King David during his reign. So Asaph was a worship leader during King David's reign. Now, King David was an, uh, an incredible worship leader on his own. And so he understood worship. He was a worshiper. He was a man after God's own heart. So he, you know that if Asaph was a worship director under the reign of King David, then he must have surely been a man of God. And so I just want to establish that. He's not a recent convert. This, this brother was good and saved, okay? He knew the Lord. He was a leader. He was definitely a leader. And so I like, and I'm sure you like, the way the psalm starts out. It, it sounds like most psalms that praise God. Now, there are psalms that, ha- that have varied emotions. There's some lamentations in the psalms. There's, you can definitely read uh, sorrow and, and, and grief in the psalms. So there's this wide range of emotions to ecstatic to uh, I want to die. I mean, and everything in between. A wide range of emotions can be found in the Psalms. And that's the beauty uh, of the Psalms. They're, they're considered a poetical, uh, they're, they're found in the poetic uh, books, and they, uh, they are very poetic in the way they're scripted. So he starts off, Asaph starts off, he says, Truly, God is good to Israel and to such as are pure in heart. Now, if we're sitting in a service in Grace Church on Sunday morning and we hear somebody say, make that statement, I think many of us in our hearts or vocally would say, amen. We would say, amen. That, that's right, brother. God truly is good. He's good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. Hopefully, we are all pure in heart. And so we would say, yes, that's right. God is good. Truly, God is good to the pure in heart. So pure in heart. So what does pure mean? Well, pure means to be totally committed to God. So when Asaph talks about God being good to people who are pure in heart, he's talking about people who are totally committed to God. And see, in fact, the heart is so important that Asaph mentions the heart six times in this psalm alone. Six times. He understands that the condition of the heart affects how we view things. The condition of our hearts affect how we view things. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Guard, or some versions say, guard your heart with all diligence. So we're to guard our heart, protect our heart. Now, something interesting happens. He starts out really good, very encouraging, something, like I said, we would say amen to. But suddenly there's a change. And in verse 2, if you look with me in verse 2, 
Then Asaph starts off that truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Next verse, he says, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. He went from saying that God is good to Israel and to the pure in heart. Next thing you know, one verse later, he's now saying, hey, I almost stumbled. My feet nearly slipped. Why the sudden change? Why all of a sudden he's praising God, next thing he's confessing that he's going through something difficult. Now, let, I want to point this out to you, that Asaph actually here is being honest. He's being honest. Many times we as children of God can think we can't be honest because it might show a lack in our faith. No, it's okay to be honest. It's okay to be honest with God and with each other. In fact, it's very important. I think we all have moments where we feel like, uh, man, I almost stumbled. I I nearly slipped, right? We've all faced those moments here and there where we've had questions and we've had doubts. And this is what's happening with Asaph. In fact, it's very refreshing. And I believe God wants to use this to allow us the same freedom to be honest with him and with each other. So he's being honest. And despite being a leader, even though he knows as a leader, it's not uh, many leaders have difficulty expressing maybe some, some truth about the fact that they feel like they're slipping or they're stumbling. I understand that. We don't want the people that we lead to lose confidence in us. So I understand, but he's being honest. And he doesn't deny the fact that he has struggles. He has questions. He has fears. He has doubts, like we all do. He faces discouragement, and in some cases, even resentment. He knows that as a child of God, he knows this, that he'll face trials and tribulations, temptations and troubles will come. But in this instance, in Psalm 73, it seems like this, that he's experiencing in that moment, was too much for him to bear. Has anybody ever been there before? You just felt like, man, this is too much to bear. This, this trial, it's not just the regular trial. It seems like trial upon trial, upon temptation, upon storm, and just so many troubles are coming. It just seems like they're piling on to where we finally get to the point where this seems a little too much to bear. Has anybody ever felt that way? I would expect every hand in the room to go up. See, we got to be like Asaph. we got to be honest, right? I'll raise my hand. There have been moments where I'm like, God, this is like getting to be a little too much. Well, what I do know is that it's caused me to, to depend on God even more, right? Sometimes when all those things come together, we can, either, we can either run from God or we can run towards God. And I believe the response that God is looking for is that we would run towards him, that we would seek him more diligently. The, the, the troubles in life seem to draw us near, nearer to God uh, uh, when we as believers are committed to him as those who are pure in heart. Now, we shouldn't be shocked. I'm not saying that Asaph was necessarily shocked, but I just want to say to us today, as Christians, we shouldn't be shocked when we go through trials and tribulations. The apostle Peter said in his first epistle, chapter 4, verse 12, he said, Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. He's saying it's not strange that we as Christians go through trials. It's not strange that we go through tribulations. He's, he's, he's saying it's okay. The difference is without Christ, before we knew Christ, we went through them alone. And we usually messed it up and made things worse. But in Christ, now we have, now we have God with us. And he walks us through and he guides us through those times of trials and tribulations. We know we're not alone. In 
Jesus said in John 16, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Not you might, not you could, but you will have tribulation. He's saying, basically, tribulation is a certainty. Sooner or later, you will experience tribulation. You'll face storms. You'll, you'll go through things. You'll face some stuff that's going to be difficult. He's saying, in this world, you will. Somebody say, you will. In this world, you will have tribulation. But, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And if he has overcome the world, then we have overcome the world with him. Not you might, but you will. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Now, the Bible has much to say about our victory in Christ. It says in Romans 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? It says in Romans 8 as well, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It says in the book of Isaiah, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. It says in first, the, the first epistle of John, he who is in us is greater than he that is in the world, meaning our enemy. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's much to be said about our victory in Christ. We may face trials and tribulations like Asaph, but we've overcome the world because Christ is with us and in us. Now, why? So I want to just briefly mention, kind of briefly summarize, what was the source of Asaph's discouragement? Why was he so discouraged? This worship leader under the reign of King David, obviously a seasoned man of God, I would say a veteran in the faith, what would get him to the place that he almost slipped and he almost stumbled? What was the source of his discouragement? He's discouraged because he set, tells us in the psalm, I would recommend you read it later if you want to verify, be a, be a Berean, or if you want to just to get into it a little more, because I'm just going to be brief here. But he's discouraged because he sees sinners, and they seemingly have everything. And I'm, when I say sinners, I'm pe saying people outside of Christ. He sees sinners that seemingly have everything, and it discourages him. He couldn't understand the justice in allowing the wicked to thrive while the righteous endure hardship. He didn't understand that. Hard for him. So verse 3, like I said, I'm going to go through it briefly. Verse 3, he was discouraged because the arrogant seemed to prosper. Verse 4, he's saying they don't seem to get sick. How come they don't catch COVID? They're the most wicked people I know. I got it twice. They never caught it. That doesn't make sense to me. Verse 5, Things seem to come easy to them. Verse 6, they are prideful and they're violent. Verse 7, again, speaking about sinners. They are hard-hearted and they think of evil things to do that you and I would never consider doing as children of God. And verse 8 and 9, he's saying, and their speech is horrible. Verse 10 through 16 to summarize what he's saying, the wicked seem to get away with so much, leaving Asaph wondering why he even bothers to do good. Now listen, if you dwell on those kind of things too much, it can cause you to waver. It can cause me to waver, to question, to doubt, if you just dwell on those things. It can even oppress you if you let it, make you feel like it's not worth, to, worth doing good. Has anybody ever felt that way before? I'm not expecting too many hands to go up, maybe a couple. But at some moment, when there seems to be such a great injustice between uh, children of God and sinners, sometimes those, those thoughts may come. 
But we have to reject those, take them captive to the obedience of Christ. But those thoughts do come to the believers. Is it even worth to do good? Is it even worth it? That thought can come. I'm not saying you're not a child of God or there's something uh, wrong with your faith. I'm just saying you're a human. Those, those thoughts do come. Those do- thoughts do come. But so I just summarized through verse 16. And see, let, let me say this before I get to verse 17. That whole thought of is it worth it to do good? Is it worth it to serve God? Does it, does it even make a difference or, ma- or matter? See, that's, that's the point where the enemy would love for us to be. The enemy would love, he'd love for us to get to that point and just dwell on that thought. He would love for us to just think and and perhaps even act upon that thought. Is it even worth it to serve God? Let me tell you, it is absolutely worth it to serve God. I said it's absolutely worth serving God. I, I don't know what you were like before Christ, but me, I was lost in darkness. I was lost, and he brought me into his marvelous light. I remember the day I surrendered my, my life to Christ in a sanctuary. My life was transformed forever. He, I, I, I wept for 20 minutes as I surrendered my life to Christ, and when I got up, I felt clean. I had never felt clean before. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I, I, I ran the streets, and I was, I was reckless. I was doing nothing good, doing whatever I wanted, what a person that, that doesn't know God at all or, or thinks he knows but really doesn't, or what God would expect for my life or what he wants to do with my life or in my life, through my life. And so I lived, and so I went, I went surrendered my life to Christ at an altar after weeping for 20 minutes. And so here, here's my thought to explain it, is when I, when I surrendered my life to Christ, in that moment I felt like I became aware that God was aware of me. And I, and I realized that he loved me, and so I just wept and wept because I, I had thought maybe in my own heart, never articulated, but that I was beyond redemption. And I just, I, I had already imagined bad things for my life. And all of a sudden, he for, I, I repent of my sins, and he forgives me of my sins, and I start weeping because I can feel his love. When I got up, I felt clean, and I've never been the same again. Absolutely worth it. I don't know, I don't know what condition my life would be in, today if it had not been for that moment where I surrendered my life to Christ at an altar. I think that's a good time to praise the Lord. So Asaph was at this point. I mean, it's very clear. He's going on and on and on and on. These are his observations about what things are like with people in the world, with sinners. But in verse 17, there's a change in Asaph's thinking. Just as he quickly turned into like, I'm discouraged and these are all the reasons why, now in verse 17, there's another change. It's a powerful change. There's a change in his thinking, which means, which is to say there's a change in his perspective. And it's found in verse 17. Psalm 73, verse 17. Asaph says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. So he's saying, I was dwelling on these thoughts. I was discouraged. They, were, they, they almost made me stumble. They almost made me slip. 
Until I entered into the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein. Until I entered into the sanctuary of God, which is to say until I entered into the presence of God, then my changing, my, my thought, my thinking changed back to where it normally has been and should be. In the Old Testament, the word sanctuary means sacred. It means worship. It's where the Israelites offered their sacrifices and their offerings in, in the in the sanctuary. So he says, when I entered into the sanctuary, then I understood their end. So he experienced three things when he entered the sanctuary, just like we do. First thing he experienced, I want to mention, there's three things, I'll mention them. First thing he experienced, when he entered the sanctuary, he experienced peace. There's peace in this sanctuary. When I walked in here, I, it was peaceful. It was, I actually even sensed joy in the room when I walked in. It's beautiful. There's peace in the sanctuary of God in Asaph's time and in our time. Why? Because we're gathering together as the family of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship him. There's peace in this place. There's peace in the sanctuary where God is worshiped. He says in verse 17, then I understood their end. What he's saying is the confusion, all that confusion of why this and why that and how come and doubt and fear and everything, the confusion is gone. That's all, that's all confusion, what he was thinking. He lost sight of who God, who God is. And so the confusion is gone and peace has entered in. When we enter into the sanctuary, we receive peace. In the sanctuary is, is where God's presence dwell and in his presence there is peace. 1 Corinthians 14.33, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Isaiah 26, verse 3, he says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts you. Because he trusts in you. He'll keep our minds in peace when our mind is stayed on him. See, Isaiah's mind wasn't stayed on God. He wasn't keeping his mind on God. He was now watching everything around him. And that'll bring confusion, and that'll bring fear, and that'll bring doubt. But when we keep our minds stayed on him, and we trust in him, we'll receive perfect peace, Isaiah says. So when we enter the sanctuary, when he entered the sanctuary, he received peace. And so do we. Next thing we're reminded of when Asaph entered the sanctuary he was reminded of God's promises. Verse, verses 18 through 20, he's basically, to summarize, he's saying their seemingly good time won't last forever, right? It may seem like sinners are prospering, people outside of Christ are prospering, but he, he, now he realizes when, he enter, when, he, when the confusion's gone, the peace enters in, he realizes that their seemingly good time won't last forever. When we enter into the sanctuary where God's word is preached and taught, we're reminded that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now, now we realize, okay, yeah, they seem like they're having fun, but in the end, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We're reminded that you reap what you sow. When you're reaping evil, when you're sowing evil, you're gonna reap evil, but when you're sowing, when you're sowing good, then you're gonna receive good. And we sow into the spirit, Romans 8 would say, we sow to the things of the Spirit, we'll receive, we'll reap the things of the Spirit. When we come into the sanctuary and we receive peace and are reminded of God's promises, we understand that ultimately God will set all things right. We'll, we'll, 
be reminded of that the wealth of the wicked is temporary, but the promises and the rewards for the godly are eternal. What we're doing here is eternal. What we're doing here is eternal. It's not temporary. We're sowing into eternal life when we serve God and we worship God and the things we do. And God keeps count of everything that we do in his name. When we enter into the sanctuary and are reminded of God's promises, we will put our efforts in to things that are of eternal value. We'll put our efforts into things that are eternal, not temporary, the temporary things of this world. 2 Corinthians 7.1, the apostle Paul tells us, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Having these promises, beloved, let's, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There, there are some, there's, I've heard different estimates, but anywhere from 6,600 to 7,000 promises can be found in the Bible, in the word of God, and they're all meant for us. They're, they're, the promises of God are for us. When Asaph entered the sanctuary, he remembered God's promises, and so do we. The next thing he's reminded of was God's protection. Verse 23, listen to what he says. Now we're getting towards the end of the psalm. He says, I am continually with you. You guide me by your right hand. I am continually with you. You guide me by your right hand. This reminds me of a time when my family, when my, when my sons were young, and we were in Disneyland, and it was really, really crowded. Now, I heard you got to take like a second mortgage to go to Disneyland too, especially if you want like a three-day hopper. You got to take a you know, credit line off your mortgage or something. Um, but back then, it was a little more affordable. But I remember it was, a, it was a huge crowd. My son, who's a police officer now, uh, but back then, he was a little intimidated by the crowd. So he's walking next to me. He's always by me. And so he, he looked like he was intimidated. He kept looking around. I could see kind of the astonishment in his face. And then he reaches out. He reaches out with his hand. And he kind of grabs a hold of my hand. And so I'm, I have my right hand holding his hand. And we're walking through. And I could see, like, he kind of, he let out a sigh. Like, okay, I'm, I'm okay. My dad's holding my hand. Right? Same thing, same thing with Father God, right? Right? He guides us by, he, he grabs us by the hand during the difficult times of life. He walks with us. You know, he's near to the brokenhearted. He draws near. As if to say, I know when you're going through hard times. Here, take my hand. I'll, I'll, you'll feel my presence a little more near during this time because I know you need it. You're going to feel my love a little more because I know you need it. And he grabs us by the right hand. He says, you'll guide me by the right hand. You, as if God grabbed him by the right hand and said, I, I know this is a lot. See, God doesn't get mad at us because we have questions, fears, doubts. He understands our humanity. Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses. So he, they, God understands. And so he says, you, I'm with you and you guide me by my right hand. You guide me by your counsel. So protection, we're reminded of God's protection. We come into the sanctuary, we, we, we experience God's peace, we, we uh, are reminded of God's promises, and then also reminded of God's protection. See, God's guidance, he said, you guide me. He said twice, you guide me. God's guidance protects us. It leads us away from the things that the world calls fun. Our life on earth is but a vapor, the scriptures say. And that we are just pilgrims passing through. We're going to spend eternity in heaven if we serve God 
and follow his guidance. Verse 25, when Asaph goes into the sanctuary of God, he remembers he has something that the wicked don't have, and I hope that we all cherish this more than anything. It's a relationship with God. We have a relationship with God, and that's something to be cherished and held onto and, and uh, appreciated, and we should be grateful that we, when we were lost, without a Savior, Christ entered into our life, and he saved us and delivered us from our sin. We have, we have something that they don't have. Listen, I, I didn't have the joy I have now when I was apart from Christ. I didn't have the peace that I have now when I was apart from Christ. I didn't ever experience the love that I experience now when I was apart from Christ. We have something so special, and it doesn't waver, and it's not inconsistent. God never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. He's always loving us. He's always reconciling us back to him, uh, Paul says. He's always drawing us in, and when we need him the most, he's the closest. He draws near. See, now, now listen, listen to what uh, Asaph says, right? He's doubting for like 15 verses, right? And then he enters the sanctuary. He's like, oh, it's like all of a sudden, like, I, man, how did I forget? How did I miss this? Again, he's human. But this, this next two verses are uh, called the prayer of Asaph. And so now he's back into full, I'm solid in Christ mode. And he says, when, uh, he says whom have I in heaven but you. He's like, all right. Everything was kind of jumbled up and turned upside down, but now he's like, oh, like his mind all of a sudden, he snapped out of it, or God snapped him out of it. Snapped out of it when he came to the sanctuary. He says, whom, whom have I in heaven but you? He says, there's none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail. Recognizing his weakness. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. How did he get back to that place? When he entered the sanctuary. When he came into the sanctuary. You see, and I'm getting ready to conclude. You see, what Asaph was doing, which I think is pretty, pretty easy for any of us to do, is he was looking through the eyes of the flesh. He's looking through the eyes of the flesh. As opposed to what? Looking through eyes of faith. From what the scriptures say. What we learn from the word of God. He's looking through the eyes of the flesh. Oh, that's unfair. That's not right. But what does the Bible say? No, God is a just God. God is a good God. And you know, I used to feel as a, maybe as a younger Christian, thinking, thinking thoughts like these. I don't know if I got to the place where I almost slipped or stumbled over them, but in a very kind of criti criticizing, judgmental, religious kind of thing, like getting upset that it seemed like uh, sinners were prospering or uns you know, what we would say unsaved people were prospering. I, I, I know my thoughts went there. And it's interesting because um, I'm Latino. And uh, I was doing a quinceanera, so uh, some family wanted me to do a quinceanera, and we were going to do it in their backyard. It was, it was very nice, but at the quinceanera, um, by this time I'm already in ministry. I've been in ministry a while, and already in, I think, pretty sure I was in Bible college at the time. And while I'm there, so it's a big family, 
and like I said, it, it, was, uh, it was a very important ceremony because the father uh, was no longer in the picture. And so I'm there, and they asked me to do it. And it's family, so I can't say no. While I'm there, they're like, they have like just alcohol like all over the place. I mean, everybody's drinking, and, and you know, there's drunkenness. And, and I started getting kind of indignant. Like, what, why did I, I was sitting on the couch, and I was kind of asking the Lord, what am I doing here? Like, why am I here with all these, you know, people who are getting drunk and stuff? They're not, they're not even respecting, like, what's going on here. This is supposed to be religious. We're uh, blessing a young woman coming of age. So I'm in there, and I'm, and I'm thinking these things. I'm, like, getting a little upset that there's all this drinking and drunkenness going on, right? And I'm sitting there. And then, and then I felt like the Lord said to my heart, well, if you, don't, if you don't tell them, then who will? So I was like, oh, I felt so convicted. It's like, well, these people aren't coming to church. So I'm taking church to them. And I felt so convicted. And then, I, then after I repented in my heart right there as I was sitting on the couch with all these people getting drunk around me, and then I felt love for them. So we went out in the backyard, and, and the first thing I say is, hey, everybody, we're getting ready to start the ceremony. I'm going to just ask everybody to put their, 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 their drinks down and just give me your full attention. And so everybody's like, oh, they, you know, they, they put it down. And so, and I did the quinceanera. It was, it was very scriptural, the quinceanera ceremony that I, that, I, that I do. I've done a few of them. They're very scriptural, and I even offer Christ at the end. Right, so I, I got to preach Jesus to them in the end. I, I did the ceremony part, but at the end, I said, hey, if you want to know, know God through his son Jesus, and this is, you know, steps to coming to know God. And uh, they all listened. And, and many came to me afterward and, and, and said, thank you, for, thank you for sharing the word of God. And I really appreciated that. And uh, it, it meant a lot. It touched me. And so seeds were planted. But I felt so indignant. And then God said, I love them. And then I remembered, you were just like them. If it had been you, you know, a few years ago, you'd be partaking of the same thing. What if God treated me that way and alienated me that way? And so I got a chance to, to share Christ with them. And it was, it was, a, it was a great experience, and I, and I learned something that day. And so uh, if they won't come to us, sometimes God will send us to them. But Asaph was looking through the eyes of flesh, and he was discouraged. But when you look through the eyes of faith, when you, when you look at God, see, Asaph was looking inward, not a good idea. Looking outward, not a good idea. When he finally got into the sanctuary, it caused him to look up, right? Psalms say he's the lifter of our head, but it caused him to look out, look up and remember how great God is. And we sang about how great is our God today, right? It causes us to look up. And when we were singing those words, I love, those, I love that song because it just reminds me how, how great and how vast God is now, how powerful he is. And we're, we're reminded when we come to the sanctuary of his peace, of his promises, and of his protection through all this mess that's going on around us that Asaph mentioned, God is protecting us because he's guiding us through. When we look through the eyes of faith, when we look at God keeping our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, Hebrews says, right, we'll be encouraged and we'll find hope. So what we learn from Asaph is that there really is value in coming to the sanctuary. Because many of us can go out into this world, we find ourselves in places that aren't godly, not even close to being godly. We're surrounded by people who don't, who don't value a relationship with God. 
And so when we come in on Sunday, we come into the sanctuary. Oh, man. We, we encounter peace, like I did when I walked in this morning. Counter joy. I'm reminded when, when the word is taught and preached, I'm reminded of his promises and how powerful they are and how they resonate in my heart. And then we're reminded of God's protection. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard out there sometimes. Man, it could be really, really discouraging. Some things don't seem fair, but man, God, God will set all things right in the end. I'm not worried about what other people are doing, experiencing or not experiencing. I just gotta keep my heart right with God. I had a friend who believes in God, but I wouldn't say he's serving him or anything. When COVID hit, first thing he does is call, he said, John, it sounds like this is apocalypse, man. Is God about to end the world? He's asking me all this stuff, right? Is, God, is this the, Revel, the book of Revelations? And so I said, hey, Eduardo, listen, man, I, I, I get that you're asking these questions. But, you know, you're missing the first question. The most important question is, where is your heart with God right now? I want, so it's great to know, is this the end or not? Is this the, the end? Is Christ coming soon? That's a good question, but the more important question is where's your heart with God right now? Right, we should worry about our heart before we worry about anything else. God, guard our heart with all diligence because out of it flows the wellsprings of life. See, Asaph's wellsprings got a little polluted there for a minute, but when he came back to the sanctuary, oh, they got cleansed again because he was in the sanctuary in God's presence. He was reminded of the promises. He's reminded of in the midst of all that darkness out there He's protected because God is guiding his life. So in the sanctuary, there's peace. There's promise and protection. And then Asaph ends Psalm 73. But it is good for me to draw near to God. Hey, I went in the sanctuary. He realizes it's good for me to go there and draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Final statement. The enemy will do everything he can to stop us from coming into the sanctuary on Sunday morning. You ever notice that? Didn't argue all week. All Sunday, Sunday morning, there's a little spat in the house. You ever notice that? You ever notice uh, things break down on Sunday morning more than they normally do? Right? Children won't wake up. You know, uh, iron burned my, my shirt. I mean, it's always something, right? I mean, how many? You could write a book on how many things go wrong on Sunday morning when you're getting ready for church coming to the sanctuary. He'll do everything he can to stop you from coming to the sanctuary. Man, you miss one Sunday, that means you haven't been in the sanctuary for two weeks. He'll do everything he can to get you from not coming to the sanctuary because he knows that once you make it to the sanctuary, there will be no more confusion, that there's no stopping you. You're gonna keep your momentum in serving and being faithful to God, that you'll no longer be discouraged by the things of the world. You'll no longer be frustrated, but you'll be motivated in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your attention and your time. I would just like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just like we'll pray together for just a moment. And then I'll, I'll offer a, a pastoral benediction. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can gather in the sanctuary. We're so grateful for the lessons that we learned from Asaph. Lord, uh, really appreciate the common experience, Lord. I know on some level, we felt at least some of what Asaph articulated in Psalm 73, Lord. Some frustration from some discouragement, some sense of unfairness or a lack of justice, Lord. But Lord, you always, you always uh, put things in order 
at some point. And we trust you. When we trust you, we trust your timing. And Lord, really, it's not to us to, to, to try to determine or, or say when somebody who's outside of you, outside of Christ, should be punished or what they should have or not have, experience or not experience. Lord, that's in your hands. Our first responsibility is to guard our heart, Lord, and, and posture our heart before you. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be honest with you, uh, with ourselves, with each other, just as Asaph was. If we feel like we're going to stumble or slip somehow, Lord, that we would turn to you. We would, we would uh, run to you. We would seek you with all of our hearts because you say when we do that, uh, you'll be found by us. Lord, that we will allow you to guard us, to, to hold us by our right hand and guide us. I pray we wouldn't dwell on thoughts to the point, God, where it will make us want to depart from you or, or think that you are, are not good because of what's happening or not happening around us. Lord, teach us to value your house and, and the sanctuary and that we, when we come in, we would come with expectation and anticipation of, of receiving your peace and your, your joy and your love and that we would be reminded of your promises through your servants who, who teach your word and that we'd be reminded, Lord, that you are our sanctuary. You are, you are our protector. You are, you are the Lord, our banner. You go before us. And your glory is our rear guard. You place a hedge of protection around us, Lord. You send your angels charge over us. Lord, you, you protect us. You're our protector. And if God be for us, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, then who can be against us? A rhetorical question. The answer is known. It's nobody can be against us. So we thank you for your peace. We thank you for your promises. And we thank you for your protection. And most of all, we thank you for your sanctuary where we come to encounter you every Sunday to worship and glorify your name. Bless your people today, Lord. Seal your word in their hearts for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray and agree. Amen and amen. Uh, bow your heads one more time, and I'll uh, and receive the pastoral benediction from my heart to yours. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May he bless you indeed, enlarge your territory, that his hand be with you, that he keep you from evil and allow you to cause no harm for his name's sake and for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you very much.